hello. You're listening to Mountain Talk Monday, and I'm your host, Kelly Haywood, and today we are looking at foster parenting, the foster care system, as well as adoption, and our guest is with NECO, and his name is Irv Crisp, and so I'll welcome you to the studio now. Could you uh, give us a little introduction for yourself? Sure. My name is Irv Crisp. I am a licensed therapist in Kentucky and have been working in or around foster care for about a decade. And probably about the last half of that have been with foster care agency named NECO, who functions in this area. How long has NECO been in this area? Since 2010, so about six years. Yeah, I thought that it was a more recent one. Yes. Tell me a little bit about what NECO does. Well, NECO started out as a foster care agency in Kentucky, but currently have offices in four states and do a whole variety of of different programming focuses on kids and families and and trying to our our mission is building families so whether that's put trying to help families get back together or build new families or or whatever the case may be and does your agency function outside of government yes it's a it's a private agency with foster care we work kind of hand in hand with social services that's where all of our referrals come from, but it, it is a private agency. Okay, so if a child is needing to be placed in foster care, the social worker takes care of that, and then it goes to you yes, to that, place them. Right, there are referrals that go out that tell quite, you know, as much as is as known about the child, and those referrals go out to all agencies so that there's a better chance of getting a better match for that child and with a family. So it's a process then to find, even if they're going to stay just a couple of days. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's definitely a process. And, it, you know, through time, states and agencies have learned that it's not a good thing to just place a kid in a home without trying to do some kind of matching process. So what? it's definitely a process. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about how NECO started. Well... You know, it started out with just a few foster parents, and Dr. Ed and Dorothy Necco started that out in northeastern Kentucky, and that's been about 25 years ago. So in, in that amount of time, they had a little bit of a different philosophy coming in of how to approach kids and families, and I think it's evident of how that philosophy has worked out in the growth that they've seen and the uh, outcomes, you know, with the kids that we've worked with and the amount of families built. How would you say that that philosophy is set apart from others? Well, I'm not sure about going into differences between it and, and other agencies' philosophies, but it's based on Nicholas Hobbes, a book that he wrote called The Troubled and Troubling Child. And Hobbes basically set 12 principles out in this book and with the ideal of if you can have a child experience most of those principles and live by them, then you're going to end up, no matter what's happened in the past, you're going to end up with a fully functioning adult. Regardless of who raises the child? <clears throat> well, was, I mean, considering that you have a stable environment, you know, mm-hmm. uh, as long as you're not ex- experiencing a lot of trauma going along with that. So let's talk just for a moment about our local needs for foster care. Your website says that about 50% of children in foster care don't return to their biological families. True. So is that true for our area too, that statistic? <clears throat> yeah, up? I mean, that's state average. And currently in foster care, about half the kids there have already passed the point of where they would be working to return to their biological home. 
so they're in the process you know they they are adoptable it's just a matter of a family fostering them and saying i want to adopt this child and that process happening yeah so it's about 50 50. and how often do you have people who aren't foster parents coming to look for a child to adopt we have people that contact us through Facebook or website and calling into the office and just stopping by. It's a pretty constant flow or trickle, I guess you'd say, you know, probably a better word for it. A lot of people don't really know about foster care and how it works and that sort of thing. So it's a process to become a parent. And then it's a process of, like I said, there's a matching process. So just because a referral comes in doesn't mean that, you know, that child's going to end up in your home. There's a matching process there that happens too. So it takes a little time. It takes a little time. I think everybody driving around here has noticed the signs of the various agencies all over the roadside. That tells me that the need for foster care around here is huge, apparently. That's true. Actually, right now, just a few months ago, there was a new record high. There's more than 8,000 kids in foster care in Kentucky right now. That number's growing. The longer a child stays in foster care, the less likely they are to be adopted. So once that, that point comes of them being in care that they can be adopted, then you, you want to get that stabilized as soon as possible to get them out of the system. It's the last place that any kid needs to be. I guess it's fact that some of these children stay in the system until they're 18. Is that correct? It, that's true. It definitely happens that way. And a lot of those guys will end up going back to their home. There are other options. We have a program actually called Independent Living, if a child turns 18 and they've finished high school and they want to go on and straight into work or school or whatever, you know, some combination of the two, then they can recommit, which can go before their judge and recommit themselves in state's care and stay until they're 21 and have their own apartment and, you know, go to work. And it gives them up until they're 21. So that gives them some time to get their feet underneath them and get a little bit of a head start. So there are other options. And, you know, it's not just about a kid, you know, turning 18 and having nowhere to go, but it definitely happens sometimes. Do we have any numbers on how many children are in foster care in eastern Kentucky compared with the rest of the state? Is it more or less? It's actually less, and, you know, I haven't looked to see if it's a direct correlation with population or not, mm -hmm. but there are less children in foster care in eastern Kentucky. We have offices across the state, and it's divided up with the same regions as social services, so, you know, we can keep keep track of that. It's considerably less, but the population's considerably less, too. Right, right. So it would be more of a comparison of percentages of children than, yeah. than actual numbers. Right. So I've done some research. I'm working right now on a story about the efforts for a needle exchange program. Mm -hmm. And I've been doing some research, and <laughs> the hospital in Manchester just released that about a fourth of all the babies born there are sent to UK for neonatal abstinence syndrome or withdrawal mm -hmm. syndrome. And it made me wonder how many of these children, brand new babies, end up in the foster care system right away, <laughs> or if that is also a process. I guess it's a process for finding a what's considered a medically complex foster home, which entails some extra training and, and that sort of thing. And a lot of times just They've had the basic training, but then need specialized training according to what's going on with that child. But yes, a, a lot of those children end up in foster care with special needs. And, you know, it's more, more involved. 
And I noticed also on your website that you offer a substance abuse program for teens. We do. Actually, there was a, a grant a couple of years ago called Kids Recovery in Kentucky. We were awarded part of that grant to start a substance, a juvenile substance abuse program. It has been successful in this area. It entails case management and therapy, and it's community-based, so they're seeing those guys out in schools and homes and wherever the case may be, just going to them, basically. Uh, but it is a way to you know, try to have some intervention earlier in life because the fact of it is it's uh, way easier to work with someone who's experimenting with drugs or has uh, a shorter addiction than a longer one. In general, we've talked a little bit about the process of having a child placed permanently with the family. How many children that come through your services are actually placed with a permanent home? I think for 20, 2015, it was one in five children have more than one placement. So you're talking about 80% of kids that come in to, to NECO stay with that first home that they're, that they're placed with. You know, and sometimes that <clears throat> that ends in that child going back to their biological home, and sometimes that ends with that child being adopted. But either or, you know, it's 80% one move or, you know, just straight into care and with zero moves, I guess would be the best way to say it. Uh, so it's, it's relatively high. It's higher than average. Some of these placements are still considered foster care they're never actually adopted even though they've been there for a long time or after well, so long is it an adoption uh, yeah well the goal is always permanency mm -hmm. uh, so you know sometimes there's holdups for different reasons a lot of times th there are federal guidelines of of when a case should turn towards adoption but you're talking about people's lives so at that that time parents may be in the middle of treatment or somewhere in recovery or whatever's going on with them and may need a little extra time to uh, and a lot of times the judicial system will allow them that extra time the bad part of that is that you're talking for every extra month you're talking about a child staying in care for an extra month it's, it's a double-edged sword but it does does happen sometimes so you'll have children in care for longer than what's what's called for what are some incentives for someone to be a foster parent and who can do that well as far as regulation on who can become a parent is you know they have to be 21 years old and i say stable i like to go to the word stable just because if you say stable then you're talking about housing and employment or income or just life in general you know but basically you know you have to have a permanent living situation uh, not necessarily to say to own a home or whatever but you know just uh, stable way of life really uh, clean background check you know uh, no previous reports of abuse or neglect towards a child and a clean actual driving license it's really really about all as far as requirements after that the person goes through about 40 hours of training or so things like CPR and first aid usually within about three months someone can become a foster parent is there an income requirement or a job requirement? Well, the, a person has to have enough income, has to show enough income that they're able to pay their, you know, bills, expenses. Uh, and as long as they can show that, then that's fine. 
And how are the child's expenses paid? There's a reimbursement, and we do that reimbursement twice a month, and it's basically like a per diem system that, that's paid twice a month, and it's a reimbursement, so it doesn't count as income or taxes or that sort of thing. Uh, it's, a, it's a reimbursement for taking care of that child. And that basically is just enough to cover the expenses? Yeah, I mean, it, well, you know, kids can be quite expensive, and sometimes and sometimes not so much and you know it's 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 a it's hard to peg down a percentage i suppose but uh, it, it is definitely enough to to take good care of a child and where does this money come from it comes from the state it's title 4e money how about the family structure mm-hmm. of foster care can a single person foster or different family configurations absolutely uh, anyone that can considers themselves a family. If that's a single parent, if it's cohabitating parents, if it's same-sex parents, it, if they consider themselves parents and that's their family, then uh, that's what we're looking for. So really it's about that consistent environment. Absolutely. As a clinician, anytime that you're you're working with someone who has experienced trauma or multiple traumas, then that's the, that becomes the main priority is to find a stable environment for that person to to have any growth. Based on the New Kids Count report that the Annie Casey Foundation released, we are one of the top in the nation Mm -hmm. to have parents who are incarcerated. What does that look like for a child? I guess that kind of depends too. There are kids who are experiencing their parents go to jail for the first time, and then there are kids who are experiencing... Uh, habitual incarceration of parents. All of these things, when you really get into the, to the details of it, it depends on how th- that child, what they know about coping skills and how they use them. So uh, again, it goes back to the more stable of an environment that child can be in, the more growth that can come through coping skills and learn how to deal with that and move forward from it and have honest conversations with themselves and their parents and you know, whoever else is around them. One of the most common things that I've heard against fostering or against adopting an older child, like a child older than two, is trauma. That they've likely seen a lot of bad things Mm -hmm. or they have behaviors that are hyper or violent and you want to stay away from that. How often is that true, and if so, how do you recommend a foster family deal with that? Do you offer support cases? Absolutely. Well, with any case, no matter what's going on, we have 24-7 crisis lines and case managers who are seeing our kids and families weekly and therapists who are also seeing those kids and families. So there's round-the-clock all week long for the families in general, but then it goes back to that training that I talked about earlier, which really focuses on children who have experienced trauma and how to work with them. If you have your system set up from day one of of when that child comes to your home, you're prepared for that. And even if you aren't prepared for it, you have support to call in and kind of help you through that stuff. And I think what I was talking about earlier uh, with that percentage, you know, roughly 80% of kids that come uh, into our system uh, are staying in the first home that they come to. I think that it's really a testimony as far as about that support and preparation of getting ready to deal with kids in general, <laughs> you know. As a parent of a toddler, I would 
much, much rather foster a teenager, you know, than go back to diapers and bottles and all of that. We have, actually have some posters in the office that has like the top 12 reasons to foster a teenager. That's what it says. There's no diapers, no bottles and, and that sort of thing. And you can actually have a conversation. You know, you can sit down and talk to, to kids that are a little older than that. And so that goes a long way. And you can really use a lot of different techniques and approaches and really get into incentive-based behavior programs. We talk a lot about a few different behavior modification programs, and we teach actually a couple of parenting classes through the state, and that's what those were all about. But to get back to the question as far as it is, it's a misconception about kids that are in foster care. Just because a kid's in foster care doesn't mean that they're a bad kid, per se and a troubled kid and, and all this stuff that goes around our society about foster kids. It's just not true. And it's unfortunate that some of the only stories you hear on the news are the family that adopted the kid and then want to return them. Oh, right, <laughs> exactly. Like that. <laughs> yeah. For some horrific reason that is beyond <clears throat> what I would think is trauma. It's something much deeper right, than right. that. Yeah. Well, yeah, you start getting into hereditary things. But, you know, it's like each of our offices, we have the website, obviously, but then each of our offices, 20-some offices in four different states, we each have our own Facebook account. But watching those threads of those those pages and seeing all the adoptions and seeing all the these kids hit different milestones and all that sort of stuff, I guess once you're in it, you start to see that it's not this general ideal of what a foster child is. And you were talking about fostering teens. I have a master's in education for secondary level. Mm -hmm. And so I taught middle school, seventh and eighth grade. And people would tell me all the time, oh my gosh, you're so crazy. You know, that's insane. Right. And I'm like, no, I, I really like these kids because yeah. when they're misbehaving, you can say, let's step out in the hall, mm -hmm. look them eye to eye and have a conversation and come to an agreement. Right. And teach them in that way how to have a respectful conversation with someone. Absolutely. It's modeling. Yeah. And that worked for me more times than not. And I had an all right time in the classroom. Mm -hmm. It wasn't the children that made teaching hard. Right. Even right. though right. people, <laughs> <laughs> even though people would assume that that's the case. Right. So I can see definitely rewards in fostering all ages. Absolutely. For sure. Yeah. I'm a parent of three, so yeah. I kind of got the range there. <laughs> right. Now. Well, you so. know, you get into the other thing, too, as far as if you want to see a larger impact on, on someone's life, then take someone who's been in foster care for a while and show them stability and show them a different way of life. And return on investment for that child and their future is way more than someone who has been placed in a stable home from from the get-go or a really early age. There's mad potential for a turnaround. I can definitely see the benefits there. You're listening to Mountain Talk Monday on WMMT. I'm your host, Kelly Haywood. More in just a moment with Neko's Irv Crisp. But first, kids coming into foster care are often traumatized because of problems at home like addiction, domestic violence, or neglect, even from leaving their home. 
This trauma can have lifelong health consequences. Michelle Faust of Side Effects Public Media reports that one of the most powerful ways to heal that trauma is to give kids a normal home life. Dinner at the Zelensky home is as frenzied as you would expect for a house with three kids under the age of four. Stephanie Zelensky chose this life, but not in the same way most young mothers choose it. She's a foster parent. So can you tell me your name? Naya. Naya? How yes. old are you? Four. In 2012, when she was 27 years old and in a PhD program, she took in her first kid. Naya came soon after. Zelensky has had eight kids placed in her care. Most of those kids were medically fragile, like Naya. As a pediatric nurse practitioner, she's a skilled caregiver. After dinner, Naya flips through a picture album. What's on your face in the picture in the top? My nebulizer. When Naya came to Zelensky's home, she was severely undernourished. She was 14 months old and 14 pounds and wearing about size six month clothing. Naya wouldn't smile or connect with any adult. She was severely developmentally delayed. Zelensky made sure that she saw the medical specialist she needed and she kept her close strapped to her body with a baby sling. When I was home, whether I was making dinner or doing laundry, I was wearing her um, or holding her or interacting with her. And then all weekend, same thing, would wear her, hold her, interact with her, just to kind of really give her kind of that intense bonding experience. In the latest national data from 2014, 650,000 kids spent at least part of the year in foster care. And in most places, there are not enough qualified foster parents. 21% of kids in the system are not in long-term family placements. Now, these kids have already been through a lot. By definition, kids in foster care have suffered trauma, at the very least, from the loss of their original home. Our foster parents, they are the therapy that we offer these kids. That's Moira Salaji, the chair of the Council on Foster Care, Adoption, and Kinship Care for the American Academy of Pediatrics. We can give them mental health supports, we can give them pediatric supports, we can give them casework support. You know, we can have attorneys represent these children in court. It is the foster parent or the kin parent, you know, with, with that skill set. That's who really helps these children to heal. She says trauma is one of the biggest threats to the long-term physical and mental health of kids in the system. And trauma most frequently shows up in a child's behavior. Nobody presents saying, my child is traumatized. They come in with complaints of sleep issues, aggression, my child just got suspended from school. They come in with, he's inattentive, hyperactive, distractible. Okay, parenting is not for the faint of heart. Zelensky provides intense patience, consistency, and loving discipline. It's normal parenting, but... It's kind of like normal on steroids. <laughs> that one-on-one that -on -one attention, that bonding, that, that consistency, that safety, that security is all these kids need. When they come into care, kind of doing that extra diligently is so important. Naya's grown into a healthy four-year-old. You know, she's really a miracle child in so many ways. She's a great testament to showing that even kids that come from these difficult situations with the right services, the right, you know, intensive therapies, they really can do incredibly well. Zelensky's happy. She adopted Naya and her sister this summer and just found out that she'll be able to adopt the infant boy in her care by the end of this year.
right, we're gonna go check those eyes and those ears, buddy, okay? Nurse Kristen Marisi takes four-year-old Daniel Atkinson down the hall for an eye exam. His mom, Jennifer, helps him cover one eye as he identifies pictures oh, on a card. Beautiful. You got it. And that one? Daniel's here for yeah. a routine and checkup. He's been coming to this clinic, Starlight Jeez. Pediatrics, since he was an infant. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> Jennifer Atkinson is Daniel's adoptive mother. Health-wise, he's excellent. But Daniel's health wasn't a certainty when he was placed in foster care only a few days after birth. Being born with cocaine in his system, it will always put him at a higher risk for ADD, ADHD, and behavioral type problems like that. That being said, well, he is a very active boy, as you saw yourself a few minutes ago. He is um, also a very normal four-year-old. Around the country, many of the kids in foster care have greater health needs than Daniel does because of a history of abuse, neglect, and trauma. In many places, no one is on top of managing the details of foster kids' health care. In this western New York community, Starlight is. This clinic takes responsibility for making sure kids get seen and treated and that treatment is sensitive to their complex needs. Sarah Springer works for the American Academy of Pediatrics to improve the health of foster kids. I mean, there are places like Rochester where kids do get their needs met because they have a, a really fantastic, well-coordinated, comprehensive care system that works together with their child welfare system. There are other you know, communities where there's just none of that and kids have less access. The providers at Starlight manage a juggling act. They do everything any other pediatric clinic would, but they're also specially trained to look for signs of abuse. On top of that, they keep biological parents, foster parents, and social workers in the loop about what's going on with the child. Amy Realbuto is the lead nurse practitioner at Starlight, serving the more than 300 foster kids in Monroe County, New York. What people need to understand is that these kids are being removed from situations where it's either, either acutely chaotic or chronically chaotic. Providers in the practice keep that in mind. It's what's called trauma-informed care, and it's at the center of their practice. Part of this is guiding the child caregivers on how to deal with kids' behaviors. So it's a lot of support and a lot of education, and that takes a lot of time. Daniel's appointment took nearly two hours from start to finish. That type of time-intensive care is expensive, and Medicaid reimbursement rates that cover foster kids are notoriously low leaving the county to make up the difference. We are primarily working off of reimbursement through Medicaid and some, some county dollars, but that is, that is it. That, that is all we have. We're always working in a deficit. Because of tight budgets and inconsistent grant funding, the health home has lost in-house dental and mental health services. Foster parents are concerned about the loss of some of these services because they see how the kids in their care benefit from Starlight's holistic approach. They love these kids as much as we do in a different way. Um, so we support each other very well. Support that can include distracting a four-year-old while he gets his shots. You're doing great. Look, 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 look at this. Ah, you're doing great. You're doing great. You did great. One more. Michelle Faust, Side Effects Public Media. This story was produced by Side Effects Public Media, a reporting collaborative focused on public health. And now... More with Neko's Irv Crisp on Mountain Talk Monday.
we have been talking about what the process looks like to become a foster parent. And I want to kind of switch the topic just for a moment to adoption. I hear a lot of people choosing foreign adoption because they'll say it's cheaper. If someone is looking to adopt a child and they have little income to do that with, but they have plenty of money to raise the child, right. how do you recommend going about that and what would be some incentives to adopt on American soil? Well, becoming a foster parent would, considering all the possible avenues to go through adoption, becoming a foster parent and adopting a child that's placed in your home for foster care is by far the cheapest, as in it doesn't cost anything. <laughs> Nothing at all. There is an ongoing reimbursement while that child's in foster care and then after, you know, post-adoption, and there are no upfront fees. There's actually a voucher for the attorney costs of the actual adoption process. That child will also have college waivers, you know, later on and be able to apply for some different things. So, yeah, actually just the other day I saw a meme that was talking about something about the price of adoption. My head about exploded, right? Because it, it doesn't cost anything to become a foster parent. Uh, right here, kids in this area, in our state, who need a stable home. So it's by far the best way to do that. If you're becoming a foster parent, do you get a home inspection? Sure. Sometimes while you're going through training, and the home inspection, uh, we're not checking to see if you hit a certain I don't know, a square foot threshold or something like that. It's focused on safety. Do you have exposed wiring? Making sure your refrigerator and stove work. Making sure you're not storing some kind of toxic chemical on your property. You know, th those sorts of things. So basically, as far as the home's concerned, as long as a, a child has a bedroom they can sleep in, not just by themselves, but, you know, their own bed in a bedroom. I mean, that's really about about that. You know, it's it's mostly about safety. I used to homeschool my daughters, mm -hmm. and I talked to a lot of families who really had the heart for adoption in, in that community, but said that because they have X amount of children and the siblings share beds, mm -hmm. or because uh, they homeschool, they weren't allowed to foster or adopt. Is that the case? Uh, it's an interesting question about homeschooling. And honestly, I'd have to check into that, I suppose. I'm pretty sure that the child would need to be in the school district. But with the sleeping arrangements or whatever, we just make sure that each child has their own mattress, you know, like a twin-size mattress or whatnot, uh, and that genders are in different bedrooms. Some of the things that we try to focus on with kids while they're in school and in the school district is getting them involved in some extracurricular activities, which I, I know kids that are homeschooled do the same thing. So I, I'm not sure about that, to be quite honest. I, th I don't think that you would be able to homeschool a child while it's in foster care. Now, once you get to the adoption process, then you could go back to that because legally that child is under your protection to make those decisions for. Uh, but while it's still in the custody of state, it would have to go through a state school. I know in the state of Kentucky, homeschools are considered private schools. Right. So we govern ourselves. We're right. not inspected by anyone. So right. I can see how that would definitely affect a child that's not in a permanent situation right. or in a semi-permanent situation. I think the everyday socialization of in that institution of, of the school with some kids, that goes a long way too, you know. So 
I don't know. I, I guess I'd really want to look at it on a case by case kind of situation. You know, it's hard to generalize things like that. You know, it's a way bigger conversation. What about family lifestyles? I've also heard from people who are vegetarian saying that they weren't allowed to foster or adopt because they wanted to feed the child a vegetarian diet or a yeah. vegan diet. Yeah. Well, okay, so, you know, I, I, that, I don't know, I guess that almost gets into the same thing, but, yeah. you know, so I would want to ask, for that family's biological child, if something came up and their child had to go into foster care, would they want that other family making those decisions for that child? So you get into the same conversation as far as religion, a bunch of different topics, right? So while a child is in foster care and their goal is to return to their biological parents, that parent still has some rights and, and kind of say so, if you will, of what's going on in that child's life. And the child itself, once it reaches a pretty young age, really needs to be taken into the conversation about what's going on with their life and, and what they're experiencing and, and that sort of thing. So, you know, it really gets into a case-by-case kind of thing. Again, that's hard to generalize, you know. Mm-hmm. I think that I would want to know the kid's perspective on it. And I, I like that answer because I think too many times here in this conversation, we're referring to them as them and they. And, right, right. And foster kids. And, yeah. But they're individuals. Yeah. They're unique individuals, and each of them have different needs. And I think sometimes when we're dealing with youth population, a lot of folks make the mistake of not seeing them as individuals. Well, you were talking about, you know, teaching in in middle school, that age range. That's the whole developmental key of that age range is finding that identity and and testing out with different types of identity and to uh, kind of set that forth for that kid and, and refuse to allow them some different options just you know an experimentation or whatever really stifling and can lead to some other issues down the road i suppose so i don't know that's the ideal of for the vast majority of our kids that are in foster care through our homes i have an individualized therapist with individual sessions away from everyone else so that they have a go-to person to mull through these things and and work on on those ideals and come to conclusions and all these things we're talking about. And I think that's another key to the stable home and and the environment that allows for that space to figure those things out. Mm -hmm. Oftentimes, behaviors that are self-harming, for example, their parents end up in jail over or end up too sick to take care of them over, develop because of a lack of ability to explore the different avenues in our youth in a safe way. Right. It then becomes a more rebellious way or a way to act out rather than, like you said, options, Mm -hmm. several options, you know, and even if that option is not a great one, sometimes having the freedom to explore it a little bit and say, oh, never mind, (laughs) and then come back around. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's the ideal of childhood. It's it's a, a, a hard thing sometimes to sit down with a child who you've got all these professionals intervening in this child's life and kind of scrutinizing what's going on with them. And at what point, you know, at some point someone has to stand up and be like, hey, this is just this kid. You know, he's growing up and trying to figure himself out. And I'm not sure that's diagnosable. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's about them having someone to stand up for them and, and say those sorts of things and really advocate for the childhood process. And I can imagine that there is 
often some fear associated with being taken to a strange place and saying, here's where you're going to sleep tonight. In a family that may have other children or have no children, that's the first time you've met that person. And realizing that that person's going to be there regardless, I think is a big deal. But how do we address fear in children who are coming into foster care? I think with fear in any situation, you just you acknowledge it first. One of my favorite books, a uh, guy says, uh, you can't be brave in, unless you're afraid. You know, that's the only time you can be brave. So you have to acknowledge that we're scared, the kid's scared, everybody's scared, you know. So it's the time to sit down and just call that what it is and say, let's let's work forward from here. Uh, some of the most probably senior, I guess I should say, foster parents who have been around for quite a while and have a good system worked out. The whole family sits down at the kitchen table as soon as a child shows up. Everybody sits around, and it's not a, a heavy a heavy conversation that goes into detailed rules and all this sort of stuff, but it's just a time to sit down and say hi and to acknowledge that fear and say this is going to take some getting used to for everyone. If there's any kind of problems, let's, let's talk about it. Let's be proactive about it. And that just might be the therapist in me seeing that as my favorite approach or whatever, but it's, it seems to really work in any situation. And get some questions out of the way yeah. without them having to get the courage to ask them themselves. Yeah. yeah, get it on the table. One of the things that was really hard for me when I taught school was as I developed a bond with my students, sometimes they would tell me things that they wouldn't tell other adults. Right. And as a teacher or anyone in charge of a group of kids, that's going to happen mm -hmm. because I think all children need an adult that they can confide in. But one of the hardest things for me is like if I had a student whose parents or parent was in jail and the night before they were to come home, that student says, I'm scared. I don't want to go back to my house. But legally, that's where they're going to go not being able to do anything about it yeah. or realizing that home situation is not stable but again legally so much has to play out before anything can be done and then on the opposite end of that you have people who do live a little differently than others fearful yeah. that their children will be taken away at the right. drop of a hat so What's the balance? Well, having more people involved in, in that analysis. So like what you're talking about as far as having a child come to you and, and whether it's disclose some really bad stuff or just someone to confide in. With parents too, and actually this conversation I was talking about at the get-go, same thing with any professional I believe that works with a child. But really the conversation, step one, is to say I'm, I'm here to help and do what I can and advocate for you. However, there are certain situations that I have to uh, report information. If someone's in uh, risk of harm or someone else is at risk of harm of, from you or whatever the case is, you know, certain things and, and to really work through those. Just so you don't run into a situation of a kid really disclosing to you and they don't know that you have to turn around and, and pass that information to someone. You know, because that, that, uh, that's a deal breaker for most kids <laughs> once that's happened. Right. So it's a good conversation to have. 
But then other than that, there's a process. Anytime that there's an allegation against a home, you know, there's a process and an investigation and there are avenues to advocate for yourself in court and, and that sort of thing uh, with social services. Now, I'm not a social service worker, so I probably shouldn't go into that, you know, very far, nor am I an attorney. But, you know, I, I do know that there are definitely avenues to advocate for yourself and, and to make those claims. As far as people worried about, you know, their kids going into foster care and, and that sort of thing, every kid that comes into foster care, their goal is to return home. As most of the work we do is with foster children, but our like our mission statement is we build families, not we build adopted families or foster families or you know that sort of thing. And the reason for that is there are a lot of kids that come into foster care, and that may be traumatic for them, but it gave a chance for somebody to get themselves on their feet, and that child is able to go back home. And you know, like we talked about in a lot of situations. It's a good thing. It's set up as a safety net, and just because a child comes into foster care doesn't mean they're going to be adopted off in the next couple months or or that sort of thing. There are goals for people to meet and have time to meet those goals and get their family back together, and that's what we want. During the period that a child is in foster care, how do they maintain a relationship with their biological parents, or can they? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it depends on the situation, you know, what's happened and what's going on. But, you know, most of the kids that we have that are working their way back home, they have visits with their family and phone contact through a hodgepodge of different types of contact. just goes by case by case, and that's all depending on safety. It's not that parents aren't allowed to talk to their children and, and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And, you know, as far as our foster family, you know, we we have different, I guess, categories of foster homes. You know, we have foster homes who only want to foster and not adopt. You know, we have other foster homes who want to end up adopting, so they only foster children who are available for adoption. You know what I mean? There's there's different... It doesn't have to be a set, prescribed goal in mind, really, to foster. You can, kind of like a school teacher, have those kids there for a year, and then they go back home and on to another grade. You know, it's kind of the same mindset that a lot of our foster families have And it's not just the child that they work with, but actually talk closely and work closely with the biological family, biological home, in modeling or or helping them and there for support for the whole family. So it's not necessarily a foster parent, but foster family to that other family sometimes, which is really the best case scenario. And I guess that's where it comes into finding the best match. So in that regard, how do you recommend someone who's interested in fostering determine what age group they want to foster or how they want to go about that? I think the main thing is to keep an open mind about age ranges and and genders and all that sort of thing because it seems to me and this may be anecdotal or whatever but you know it seems that most people that come in that have a very set age group that they want to work with if they'll allow themselves to work with some other age groups they find out very quickly that they weren't so limited in what they were thinking about fostering. So I I think the main thing is to just keep an open mind about it and do it on a case-by-case basis, you know. So the process of if I have a referral that comes to me and I think that might be a good fit for your home, then I'm going to call you and work through that referral with you, and that way you can make that decision on a a case-by-case. So, I mean, I, I think it's just about keeping an open mind. In regards to the foster parent lifestyle, I Mm -hmm. guess. (laughs) If you're a single person or you're a two-parent home and both parents work, 
how do you manage childcare while you're working or do you have to arrange for yourself to be home somehow all the time with that child? I guess it depends on the age of the child and what's going on with them and what they're able to do. You know, it's like with biological children. If my daughter has proven herself trustworthy and is is of a certain age, then it's about being prudent and reasonable. You know, obviously sometimes I suppose you were talking about a babysitter earlier. We don't set forth like this has to happen this certain way with these certain people. So if you get into if this child is going to spend you know some time with this other person one-on-one, then probably be a good idea to run a background check. <laughs> you know what I mean? That sort of thing. But that's up to the parent to find that person, and it can be who they choose, and, and just like you would in normal parenting. So you don't have to think about it too differently than you would parenting your own child. Not at all. There are, I guess, a few situations as far as, and really it, it follows good parenting advice as far as making sure a kid has a checkup once a year, a vision appointment, and dental, and that sort of thing. So, you know, there are guidelines to go through, but there are, it's nothing that wouldn't go along with normal parenting styles anyway, I guess would be the best way to say that. Here's another question, and this may seem random, but in parenting groups, this has come up quite a bit, and I would assume you probably have a good idea of the answer. When I was a kid, it was perfectly fine to leave an 8- and a 10-year-old home alone, uh-huh. legal and fine. Is that still true? <laughs> because people aren't doing that anymore. Right. And, and a lot of parents that I know struggle with, at what age is it okay to leave the child home for a run to the grocery store or what have you i I would have to check in krs i'm not i'm thinking that you know it's really based on development you Uh you know that's that's really the main thing but if i'm not mistaken and again i'm not an attorney so but if i'm not mistaken it's like at the beginning of teenage years if not a little before that the question you want to ask yourself is what's going to happen what's the worst case scenario and how's this child going to react to it so, I mean, that's a, it's a very individualized question that I really just have to make on their own. I, I think some good analysis, you know, like I said, check with KRS and make sure they're following that or whatever. Uh, to me, it just really goes more on development, mm-hmm. you know, because you can sit down with two 12-year-olds who will react totally different in the exact same situation. It's probably misleading to just throw age on it and go with that. Right. I think uh, the key would be to look up the law because (laughs) some of the parents were mentioning that there was a law and then others of the parents, and this was a group conversation, was like, there is? (laughs) How long has it been the case? But, you know, even if that that is the case, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it really does go into development. And like I was saying earlier about prudent and reasonable whatever decision you make, can you back that up? Can you advocate for yourself of making that decision? Mm -hmm. If that's the case, then if you feel pretty strong about that, then I guess that's up to that person. I guess that's the thing about parenting in general is it's never cut and dry. Absolutely. There's always different levels of right and wrong ways to do things. Yeah. It does. It it's determinant upon the situation. But you know what? That that chaos is what makes us all so beautiful. You know, just the the difference between everyone's family. I mean, what would we all have to talk about, and what issues would we have to work through later on in life if all of our families were the same? And you know, mm-hmm. 
that's that's what makes you know it's beautiful chaos mm -hmm. it really is for the most part <laughs> you know you got your extremes i suppose but everywhere else it's, it's a good thing i can tell you right now that the tightest hug that i've ever received came from a foster child uh -huh. and he's really active and just ran and didn't know me at all but he was at the home and just wrapped arms around tightest hug I've ever had and I'm like well hi and then yeah. the next question was why do you have tattoos <laughs> right <laughs> you know and I'm like this is great right you know? right and it was so much fun so you know just like in anything I think thinking about it as yeah there are going to be some hard things sure but the balance of the fun and the hard things yeah. and thinking about what can being in my home provide for this child yeah. that they may not have experienced had they not come to me? Well, you know, you get into such big conversations about society and conversation goes all the way from society down to individual. You know, why did I become a parent myself? And how can I take those skills and take that over to another child, you know? And why shouldn't I do that? We have some brochures that talk about that. Oh, why not? Why won't you be a foster parent? What's your reason to be? It amazes me sometimes that there aren't people just beating our doors down saying, hey, let me help. <laughs> you know, I mean, it, it really is something if you think about it. As adults, we need to look out for the kids and in our area. So, and this is a great way to do it. It's a great way to do it. And it's, you know, it's like we were saying earlier, but some parents keep those kids for a while until they go home. And, you know, a few years into that, you're talking about people who have, you look at the, just the ideals that they've spread through that amount of kids and the reinforcement for them being good kids and on a good way and headed for good things. And you can make huge amounts of impact with a handful of kids. And that carries on. Mm -hmm. It carries on. Well, it's kind of like your favorite teacher in school. Mine was my fourth grade teacher. And still to this day, if I see her out in public, I'm just like... Yeah, ah, joy, you know, my right. face lights up and I can remember her reading to us and she cared enough about me to see when I was having a hard time and to ask me about it. And just simple things like that can change the way that you see the whole world. Absolutely. I mean, it really can. And, and thinking that you planted that positive in someone that they can carry even when they're out of your hands is a big deal that maybe they can then come back to that when they're That's having a hard time and say, not everything is like this. Exactly. Exactly. You know, it's, it's planting seeds. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to see the rest of that child's life if they go home or whatever the case may be. But you have planted that seed. It's going to stay there. And it's, if you fertilize it and water it, then it's going to grow into something. And then, like you say, you run into that person later on and you can sit back and say, you know, I played a part in that. Yeah. You know, it's a huge, huge thing. It's a big deal. Another positive thing that I can see from this is learning the lesson that families can look a lot of different ways. Absolutely. And that it's not blood necessarily that makes a family. Right. It's our relationships with one another. Yeah, that's it. We're all one big family, really, you know. Mm -hmm. we we got to wake up and realize that. Yeah, and it's who do we go to when we need a hand? Who do we want to laugh with and experience most of our life with? That's our family. Yeah. Yeah, it can be from the people we live with to people we see every now and then. Yeah, yeah, so absolutely. I think that 
learning that lesson is one way to become more secure in general as mm. a person and in the world. Is it that, is. yes, people can come and go, but I can make a family. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And yeah, I totally agree with that. Probably some of your, your more confident people who, especially, you know, take someone who's been through uh, some wild experiences as a child to learn that or to, to learn, you know, to add on to their family with, with other people that they've chose along the way. You know, you're looking at someone who is going to work through issues as they grow up and, and experience new things. That's what, that's what it's all about, you know, is planning those coping skills and helping out with that. We're coming up close to the end of the hour, and I just want to say I'm glad we had this conversation, if for no other reason than to learn that fostering is a path to adoption. I don't think, I have the conversation all the time with parents, and I don't think many people realize, see it as a path to adoption. Right. That's affordable. Yeah, oh, absolutely. So that's there, great. There are, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not information that's not really out there, and, yeah. you know, you're dealing with a situation where, you know, you uh, have children and their information to protect, so, you know, you have to go th about things in a certain way, and, and uh, sometimes it's hard to get information out to everyone. So it is, though. It's a, it's a beautiful way to help out with our society and our kids in this area that need a stable place to go, and quite possibly forever, you know. So it is a, it is a route to adoption that is open for almost everyone. And another thing, as you were talking there, I thought we're a community in transition. We're transitioning economies. We're losing population. A lot of people see us as being in a crisis. When have they not? <laughs> but that's the arguable thing. But thinking about it as these children likely will be in this community for a long, long time. So you're helping lay the foundation for the community that grows out of whatever we yeah, leave. Absolutely. In doing this yeah. work. The first, uh, I guess, boss you could say that I, that I ever had talked about that and talking about anyone. If you if you do leave the area or, or come back later on, you have a responsibility really. If you're gonna be here to add to some something positive, and this is a way to not only add to something positive right now, but to lay that framework for for tomorrow. So you're listening to Mountain Talk Monday, and we're coming up on the end of the hour, and I've been here with Irv Crisp. He works with NECO, and I just want to end by asking you, is there anything else that you would like our audience to know about NECO? And not, we've talked a lot about foster parents, and, you know, that there obviously is that route, to help out but you know there are other ways to get involved there are other agencies not just ours that do a number of different things with kids throughout the region and with NECO in particular not just foster care but we do have you know like I said earlier community health uh, behavioral health and substance abuse programs all for juveniles that you know work with the whole family so, you know, there's a number of different things that we do. There's a number of different ways for people to get involved. The way to find that out is to stop by and, and have a chat or give us a call or contact us on Facebook or, you know, our website or whatever it may be. But you got to make that first step. 
Well, could you give us the website information and maybe a phone number? Sure. Uh, the website is www.necco.org, O-R-G. And our phone number at our office in this area uh, is 606-910-4308. And when I post this program onto our website, I'll add that information as well so that they can find it there. Thank you. So if you missed that, it will be online Tuesday. Uh, Mountain Talk Monday every Tuesday is posted <laughs> online. I just wanted to thank you for coming into the studio and talking with us this evening on this topic. I've learned quite a bit actually and I'm leaving the studio with a smile. So that's a good thing. You you think when you're talking about foster care it's all going to be sad, but really it feels really good to end the conversation this way. Absolutely. Thank you for <laughs> yeah. the opportunity. Really Thank appreciate you. it. All righty.